This episode is brought to you by Northern Rural Supplies. Northern Rural Supplies proudly service the Kimberley and Pilbara region, specialising in livestock sales, real estate, animal health and management, fencing, fertiliser, water and all other requirements. They stock your everyday needs to feed your dogs, cats, horses, chooks, camels and even goats. The whole team is based in Broome, so make sure you give them a call for all your agricultural and semi-rural needs. Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable, there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. All parents are bound by a common wish for their child to be healthy. Advancements in modern medicine mean that a number of disorders can be identified before birth, allowing parents time to prepare and make informed decisions. But what happens when all tests, both pre- and post-birth, indicate a healthy bub, and you're sent home unaware that your child has a genetic condition? A condition which, had it been caught earlier, would drastically change the outcome of their life. That is the story of Jesse Evans and Billy Blacker, a young, honest, hard-working Australian couple who were let down by a fractured health system and are now trying to raise awareness to avoid another family experiencing their pain. Jesse Evans grew up on a cattle station on the Gibb River Row, infamous for being the most rough and rugged stretch of country in the Kimberley region. The days were long, hot and gruelling at times, but like many bush kids, Jesse loved the adventure and the challenges that station life offered. I spoke to Jesse when she was in Sydney recently, having travelled there to receive treatment for her baby, Rocker. I was probably a cheeky child and and I was was definitely dad's right-hand man everywhere he went, I went and couldn't go far without me, but yeah, we obviously grew grew up in the bush and that was the life we knew and it's still the life we know now and you know, we wouldn't want it any other way. It, you know, it was great, great place to grow up and you know, I was very tight with my brothers and I had a lot of a lot of adopted brothers, all dad's workers were, were great. I you know, couldn't ask for a better way to grow up. Funnily enough, when I asked Jessie's mum, Linda, what Jessie was like as a child, she had almost the exact same response, even though she's on the other side of the country in Western Australia. She was his shadow. If he'd have ever stopped in a hurry, she'd have disappeared. She was just one of the boys to dad right from when she was really little. She just adores him and and follows him. She just absolutely 
Hung on every word and everything Dad asked her to do, she done and she excelled at. What are your standout memories of Jess as a kid? Buff bought the kids a whip each. This sort of will tell you about the determination of the kid. So we bought them these two custom-made whips from a fellow called Bill Millerwick in South Australia and CJ was just naturally just – it just cracked for him beautifully and Jess couldn't get a whip to crack. So she got the sulks and off she goes with her whip around the side of the house Two hours later, she came back and she could crack it perfectly and swap hands and crack it as if she'd been doing it a million years. What was she like as a teenager? Oh, God. No, actually, we we were super lucky. Our, you know, you hear things about how people have issues with their teenagers. I mean, don't get me wrong, she was no saint. You know, normal stuff, but we never, ever had the issues of the dishonesty or the sneaking out or anything else. She was just always up front. If she'd say, if you said to Jess, did you do it? She'd say, yeah, I did, or no, I didn't. And if she did, she did. If she didn't, she didn't. Jessie met her fiancé, Billy, when she was 18, and they were both competing at the National Finals Rodeo in Queensland. Jessie, a bower racer, and Billy, a bareback rider, both excelled in their events, the result of perseverance, courage, determination and grit. Little did they know that those qualities would be tested just six years later when they chose to start a family. I've, I've always loved kids ever since I was a kid myself. Like I always, every time there was a baby around, I'd find a way to get near the baby. That was for sure. I, you know, I've always loved kids. Both Jess and CJ have always had very kind hearts. They're very like their father in that respect. Um, you know, it was, they always looked after the underdog. They always looked out for the person they felt wasn't getting a fair shot. And Jess has always been kind. She always had little kids following her around. We used to, school holidays, we'd end up with, you know, two or three little kids out here wanting to ride horses with Jess. And, and we used to call her Jemima and the puddle ducks there for a while because you'd see her wandering off and then there'd be all these little levels of kids down wandering along behind her. It was that Jess ended up doing what she ended up doing was no surprise to us because she's got the kindest heart. She's just a sweet human. And so what, what she ended up doing was aged care. Yeah, yeah, she did. Probably wasn't the first, well, it wasn't her first choice, but God, she's good at it and they love her. Those oldies love her. You should see the, the little knitted booties and the hats and, and you know, when when they – she was getting close to finishing up when she was pregnant with Rocker. They had a, a baby shower for her and, and, you know, the oldies would cry and when's Jess coming back or, you know, it, it's really nice to know that your child cares, not just about about themselves but they care about other people and they're willing to put other people first. How did you find out that Jess was expecting? She was standing at the sink at the kitchen at our farm in Queensland. And I said, well, what's going on, mate? Because she was a bit quiet. And she said, oh, um, oh, um. And I said, what, um? And she said, Billy and I are going to have a baby, but I'm scared to tell Dad. (laughs) Don't worry about that. We'll tell Dad. Dad won't care. He'll be quite a happy little chappy. But I can tell you it's one of the most amazing days of our life. Jessie's pregnancy was uneventful, with no indicators of what was to come. Yeah, I had my first appointment at, I don't know, 12 weeks or 10 weeks or something with the, with the doctors in 
in Toowoomba and then we went up there every four weeks and went through all the all the scans that you've got to have and tests you've got to have and then yeah we don't we done a bit of shopping I'm not really a big person on shopping and then uh, the house at Jandowie we Billy built a room there he he does a fair bit of building so he built a room and we built all that up and bought our cot and then um, then yeah, Billy was away most of most of the pregnancy working. I know not long not long before Rocco was born, about four weeks, he was down down in New South Wales working before they closed all the borders and that. So we're lucky he didn't come early. And then I think Billy come home on about the about the ninth of of May, and uh, and Rocco was born on the thirteenth. While a global pandemic certainly wasn't making life easy, Linda was not going to let it get between her and her first grandchild. So yeah, Jess Jess was at the farm in Queensland and we were here. Um I went over three weeks, two and a half, three weeks before she was due. But yeah, she yeah, she done a lot of the pregnancy on her own. Billy was away working, so she yeah. She's pretty strong human though. So I was over with them when Rocker was born and um I met went and met him the next morning. It's um probably one of the most amazing things that I've ever, ever experienced. I didn't want to humbug him too much. So I waited until about half past seven and I rang and I said, is it all right if I come over now? And Jess said, yeah, mum, come over. So over I goes and and he was laying there in a cot and I just absolutely was not prepared for the emotion that goes through you. Um, he's just perfect. Rock is perfect. And... I sat for a while and looked at him and I thought, oh, if I pick him up, I mightn't put him down, so I best not pick him up for a bit. And then I got got cuddling with him and honestly, he's he's just made such a difference in our world. Rock is, um, Rock is pretty special. It's, it's so hard to explain. People would say to us, oh, it's different being a grandparent. You won't understand. And I'd think, oh, yeah, right, I've had my own kids, you know. They're pretty special to you. But being a grandparent, something ex- extra, it's just amazing. And so, with ten fingers, ten toes, and a clean bill of health, Jess and Billy were sent home from the hospital with baby Rocker, off to start the next chapter of their lives. When you had that first appointment at 12 weeks, did anything come up in the test results? What were they testing for back then? It's mo- mostly um, they do the, do the scans where they... They look at the babies, I think, the nose, nasal bones or something, and it's mostly Down syndrome and stuff like that they're looking for. And, that, yeah, that, all, that was all, all perfectly fine. We did have a bit of a, bit of a scare where something in the, um, in the heart wasn't measuring quite right. And then we went back a couple of weeks later and they measured it again and it was, it was all good. And, like, they, they told us the, after the first scan that they don't think there's a problem. Like they're measuring something that's tiny and it's it's moves you know it's moving so they think that more just the the measurement was a little bit out like point one of a mil like a tight it's tiny tiny measurements so then they they remeasured it and it was it was all good the, the whole pregnancy every, every test we had was fine so throughout your entire pregnancy there was absolutely no indication that there was anything wrong with your baby no not 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 not, not a thing. That everything was was perfect. And so, when did you first notice that something wasn't quite right with Rocker? 
Oh, when he he was about three three weeks old, and um, yeah, and B- Billy made a comment. He said he said I feel so sorry for himself for for the babies that like you know he can't do anything for himself. His arms just there's nothing you know not much in his arms and stuff. And then I um, then I went to a routine child child health appointment, my first child health appointment when he was yeah three weeks old. And she she said, oh, he's a bit bit weak in weak in his arms, but he could be just sleepy, or you know he's had a feed and he's ready to have a sleep, and he's just you know a relaxed baby. She said, I'm not worried, you know, don't get yourself worried, but just take him to a doctor, and um and just get a second set of eyes to have a look at him. So. I I've done that. I took him to the doctor the next morning because I was due to go out. That was on a Thursday, and I was going to go to that appointment and then go out to where Billy was was working for a few days because he'd been away for a week or so by then. So I was just going to go out and and visit him. And the doc, the doctor I seen the doctor at eleven o'clock in the morning, and he sent us straight to to Toowoomba where we got seen by another pediatrician, and then uh, they sent us straight through that night to the, to the children's hospital in Brisbane. We got there about one thirty in the morning. So you started off in your hometown or the town you were living in and then that day you got sent to Toowoomba and from Toowoomba on to Brisbane. Yeah, I started off at the, at the general GP there in, in Jendowie and, yeah, he, he straight away thought there wasn't something right. He got two doctors were there. They got the other doctor and had a look, and they said, we, "You know, we're not comfortable with what we're seeing. We want you to go through to Toowoomba." And then, yeah, Toowoomba, they um, they talked to the children's hospital, and and they sent us from there down to the children's hospital. So, how far away is Toowoomba from Jandawi? Uh, Toowoomba's about, oh, I think about one hundred and forty k. Yeah, so it's a fair drive, and then same same to Brisbane. It's another couple of hundred kilometres. What was going through your mind when you've you don't your doctors are, are sending you from one doctor to the next, but you wouldn't really have had any answers or indications at that point in time? We didn't know anything. The doctors in in Toowoomba, look, they they done a great job. They but they they couldn't answer either. They they weren't sure. They obviously had a few things running through their minds of of what it could be, but we didn't have any definite answers. And no, I was just thinking, I've got to hope Billy gets here in time. If you know, if anything else is going to go wrong, because he was, he was, oh, probably ten hours from Brisbane working. So you were you were on your own that whole time. I had one of my friends drive me from Jandawi to to Toowoomba because I was I was a bit of a mess, and um, I pulled up at, at the nursing home actually, and she's she's a receptionist at the at the nursing home, and she drove me from from Jandawi to to Toowoomba, and then. Uh, to, from Toowoomba we went in the ambulance, but I, I was just thinking to myself, "Oh no, like my first thought was, God, I hope I don't lose my child." That's the only thing that was going through my head, and I was trying trying to talk to talk to the place where you know where Billy was working to get on get on to him because he was away from the homestead. He was he was down there building a building a house on a place, and you know trying to explain to him when I didn't know what was going on. It was you know, it was a bit of it wasn't like my mind was so busy, but then there was nothing. If that makes sense, like didn't know what to think or what to do. They they organised for a um a care flight helicopter, but then it, they must have had another you know another emergency come up. So I waited a bit longer, and um 
a retrieval team come by ambulance and uh, with a doctor and and that on board and and drove us to Brisbane, and they told me in um in Toowoomba you don't don't feed him because they're worried you know his 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 body's weak and they're worried if he had a full tummy of milk then it'd put too much pressure on his lungs and he wouldn't be able to breathe on his own you know by by the time I left Toowoomba hospital he had he had cannulas in his arms and that and stuff going through there and, and a, and a um, nasal gastric feeding tube in. So when you'd woken up that morning, I know you said Billy had sort of noticed um, Rocker, had, he'd made comments about his arms, but other than that, Rocker was generally a, a healthy-looking baby. There was nothing massively out of the ordinary or anything that really raised red flags before that first doctor's appointment. No, there was nothing. You know, he was, you know, a normal, normal, happy baby. He was, he was only waking up once during the night for a feed. He was sleeping well. He was feeding well. He was always, you know, happy. Isn't it? I never had any days where he would cry nonstop or anything like that. To think that he was feeling unwell or feeling any different than normal, he was, he was always a happy, easy baby. Right from, right from when we brought him home. And nothing had been picked up at the hospital where you gave birth and when they do the newborn screening test, you know, they gave him a clean bill of health to go home with you from the hospital? Yeah, he, he was all, all checked over and and had his new, newborn screening test, um, which they wouldn't have had results for. I don't know how long that takes, but he had he had all that done, like his healthy hearing and, and he was checked over before he left the hospital and and then he was, and he was good. Like he, you know, he was definitely moving. And that when we took him home, not all normally. So what happened when you got to the children's hospital in Brisbane? Uh, I got got there yeah, about half past one in the morning. They took us straight into a, to, into the intensive care unit, and uh, there was about oh about twenty five people standing there waiting for us, all doctors and and nurses, and took us into an, an intensive care room and. And that's where I stayed in there for four days, and and they had they had a few doctors come in during the night, and then come morning we had had all different teams. We had the like the pediatrician teams, the metabolic team, um, the neurology team, all all looking at him, do, you know, doing tests to try and try and figure out what what could have been wrong. And how long did you have to wait for a diagnosis? Uh, I think it was about eight or nine days. We just, it was sort of the waiting game. We didn't go, go very far. The, f- the first, first four, four nights we were down there, they put us in, um, in Ronald McDonald. They, um, Billy and I and Billy's mother come down. She, she drove with Billy because she was a bit, everyone was a bit worried about him, him driving down on his own. So she, yeah, she jumped in and drove, drove from Charleville down to Brisbane with him. So that all three of us were in, in the Ronald McDonald house and the, yeah, the first, Four nights while Rocker was in intensive care, he had a 24-hour 20, nurse. So I'd go over night time about 11 o'clock or, and, and go to the Ronald McDonald house and, you know, have a sleep otherwise, you know, you know have a bit of a, a break. And then I'd go back in the morning and then when he come out of intensive care, I'd, I'd just stay at the hospital the, the whole time and, you know, we were just trying trying to think what could be wrong and, and hoping that it was it was something that was you know, f- fixable and they could solve the problem and would, you know, sort of move on with everything and, and he'd be okay. But we just, we sort of tried our hardest not, not to think too too much about the 
about the situation because it just sort of, yeah, it was pretty hard to deal with. Just the, the unknown was harder than, you know, the answer. When all this was happening, Jess's mum had already returned home to the family cattle station in Western Australia. As far as she knew, there was nothing wrong with Rocker, so there was no reason to stick around. That was all about to change. Jess rang me and she said, Mum, Rocker has has stopped sucking his thumb and I'm taking him to the maternal and child health nurse. And then she rang, she said, oh, I'm with the paediatrician in Toowoomba and they don't know, but they're going to send me through to the martyr in Brisbane. So I said, okay, so what do you want me to do? Do you want me to get in a plane now? Or She said, well, just wait until we find out. Jess is very practical. She's no point racing over here. It might be something simple that, you know. So a couple of days went by and she said to me, no, mum, I think you should come. So I got in a plane and went over, um, and and thankfully Billy's mum Kim was with Jess and Billy in Brisbane. Like she went down with Billy, and and I'm very thankful for that that Jess had Kim there. Linda drove three and a half hours to Broome and caught two flights to be with her daughter Jess in Brisbane as they waited for any news on Rocket's condition and for a diagnosis. They were very tight-lipped until they were, until they were sure which which you know. I think is a good thing. You don't want to give people false hope or, or you know, a worse outcome than actually what it is. You know, I'd have hated to them to say, you know, you know, it'll be all right and, you know, we can solve this and it turns out they actually can't, you know. I'd rather them, I think they, yeah, they've done a great job. And it was hard having the unknown, but, yeah, I'd definitely rather it that way than, than you have a bit of, you know, false hope and, and then things turn out worse or, or the other way around in, in some situations. What was the diagnosis that you were given? Um, the, yeah, the diagnosis that Rocker was given was um, SMA type 1, which is spinal muscular atrophy. It's, it's where they're, um, they're born missing the SN1 gene and that, that happens when um, both parents carry the SMA gene, which I think it's about 1 in 35 or 40 people carry that that gene and it's just it's the unlucky part that Billy and I both both carry that gene and then there's a one in four chance of the of your child having having SM1 uh, SMA and yeah so then when when he got diagnosed with that we, we sort of moved along with what what we have to go on with but it it affects the the body the when they're born without without the gene the the protein that controls their muscles and nerves it, it runs out basically because they don't have that gene there to keep producing the muscle and uh, the the protein to to use the muscles and then they 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 slowly become weaker and weaker and until it you know they become so weak they ca- they can't even you know have the strength to to breathe and and swallow and things like that. So just it shuts down the body until they obviously pass away. If there's no no, if they don't have treatment, you know we're very lucky with Rocker. He's he's still feeding well. A lot of babies with SMA they they're fed via a tube. You know they might have a little bit of um or you know fed orally, but most of it's through through a nasal gastric feeding tube. But we're very lucky. Rocker doesn't have to have have a feeding tube. He's still 
completely breastfed, which is, you know, that's, that's one great, great thing that we're, we're lucky that he still manages. So that diagnosis, I suppose that makes sense as to why he was discharged from the hospital after birth with a clean bill of health, showed all the signs of being a regular, healthy, fully abled baby. And from what you've described, it sounds like it's something that starts out slow because these these proteins are being, I guess, not replaced um, or renewed slowly. No, that's why it took a few weeks before you started to notice the changes in his arms and that it was picked up at the doctor's appointment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's some some babies. I think it's up to to three or four months before some some babies show symptoms because they you know they've got enough protein and. He's got. He's only got two copies of the SN2 gene, which is the backup gene, and he's he's only got two copies of that. But it makes about, you know, it can make about ten percent of the protein that the SN1 gene makes, which obviously is, isn't enough. So that's why some babies don't show symptoms until they're till they're older. But you know, they can have up to five copies of that gene. But but Rocker only has two, and and that's why his his symptoms showed their face a lot a lot earlier. They gave Jess and Billy Rocker's diagnosis and honestly, you couldn't be more proud of two young people than I was of the way they handled that situation. Their strength was something that it's an honour to witness really. That sort of, that sort of strength and willpower and decisiveness is, is something that I think a lot of people could benefit from having. And um, so we they were given the diagnosis, we were told the deal. Jess and Billy decided that they would have treatment for Rocker straight away, so they were in the process of orga- organising that. I um, I came away and I rang my husband and, and told him what had happened, what, what was happening, and he... He was as gutted as I think I've ever seen him or heard him, sorry, because I couldn't see him. I was 5,000K away. Um, and we, we were so very fortunate to have, have friends close by and, and Matt Wood from Bliner Station picked up on something in Buff's voice when he spoke to him after Buff had heard about the diagnosis and, and he made a trip to talk to Buff and, and we'll be forever grateful for that because without Matt, Buff would have bottled that up and he would never have gone to anyone and, and, and spoken without them coming to him, basically. Rocker was born in Queensland. Is this something that would have been picked up when you got those results from his newborn screening test? Uh, no, it's not, it's not, um, it's not on the, the screening test in in Queensland. It is in New South Wales, but it, it's it's not in Queensland. And if it's something that had been had been screened for and picked up from birth, then they can they can treat it before any symptoms start, and and then they can be treated, and that they, they don't have any loss of function because you know if the treatment has has started replacing that protein before it had, before it's run out and, and started the symptoms so they could, you know, the, these kids with SMA, they, um, they 
can't walk, you know, it's very unlikely that Rock will ever be able to, to walk. And if he does get to the stage where he can walk, he'd definitely have to be aided. Like, you know, a wheelchair is definitely something that's going to be a part of his life. And, but you know, if he was tested at birth and on the newborn screen like they are in New South Wales, then he could have been treated before he had any symptoms and, and that would have never have affected him no, nowhere near as much. It's it must be so frustrating to know that even though this was picked up at around you know the three to four weeks of age mark, it could have been picked up so much sooner. And then even to hear that there's stories of children that aren't diagnosed until they're a couple of months old, and again for them to realise that this could have been picked up in a newborn screening test, but just by the chances of where they live and their state choosing to not include this in a newborn screening test, it just must just leave you speechless. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the hardest, hardest things to to swallow, so to speak. That it, you know, it could could have been different. Like this can happen, you know, to to anybody. It doesn't matter who you are or where you live. But it's a bit hard to think that if you had have lived somewhere else, then things could be totally, totally different. Not only not only for us as a family, but for for him and his life. Is there any? Uh, options for identifying the SMA condition while the child is still in utero? I, I think there is. I'm not quite sure how they go about it, if they have to have to test actual fluid from around the baby or – but I, I know there definitely – yeah, there definitely is because they, they did explain to us that it can be, you know, if we opt to have another child, um, then they, they can test that before they're born and then they can be treated at birth before symptoms start. It makes you wonder why this isn't, I suppose, standard operating procedure. Um, I know your mum also explained to me that people can have blood tests themselves to find out if they're a carrier of the gene. So that way, if you know you are and your partner is, then you can, I suppose, be even even if it wasn't standard practice to have this test throughout pregnancy, if people are aware beforehand and know that there's two people carrying the gene, then that can give you that indication that you need to have that test during pregnancy. Whereas I suppose if you and your partner didn't have the gene, then you perhaps cannot worry about having that test at pregnancy. Yeah, like if, you know, if, if you knew that you both both carried the gene and, and you'd you would, you know, you had your heart set on having kids. There's a lot of other options. You know, you can you can go through IVF and they can they can test the egg, obviously because all the eggs don't carry the SMA gene, and they can they can get one without the gene, and and then that way you don't you don't even have to take the chance of being you know the one in four. But you know, if I just think it it should be in all all newborn screens Australia wide, like and. You know, give all all kids the opportunity to have the, have the best go. If they, you know, they test for other things, you know, Down syndrome and things like that nationwide. Maybe we should test for, for all things possible. You know, that we know of that are easy to test for. It is it is classed as rare, but so so are a lot of lot of the the disorders and stuff that they screen for on the newborn screening when when they're in hospital. Has anybody explained to you why it's available in New South Wales and but not Queensland or the other states and territories? No, no, I have. I I, I don't know why it's like that. I, I I do know there's 
there's um some other other families around that are in the same situation as us with the with the child with SMA and I know that they're sort of trying they're pushing too to try and get it in Queensland and and all states. What's the treatment options for Rocker? Now, when he was um, first diagnosed, we we didn't have an options an option of treatments. There's a few treatments that are available now, but when he was first diagnosed, our options were were no treatment and palliative care or um, a, a medication called nusinersen, which is done by a lumbar puncher, where they put a needle into into his spine. They take out five mil of spinal fluid and and inject a five mil of nusinersen. It, it's it's one hundred and ten thousand dollars per treatment, but it, it's covered by by Medicare and and PBS and stuff like that. And so we we went the day they told us we we just straight away said yeah we we want to have some treatment for him. And they the next morning we took him in there at, at eight o'clock and he had his his first dose of nusinersen and he had um had three three doses of that and then um and then we we got access to the the gene therapy zolgensma which which is just had down in sydney and it's it's a one-off treatment uh, unlike the the news and nurse and it's got it's got a loading dose where you have have a lumbar puncture every two weeks for the first first three weeks and then after you had your, th- your three doses you wait five weeks and have your fourth dose and then you have have a dose every four months for the rest of your life, and uh, there is a new new oral um, medication coming out. I don't know don't know much about it, and I, I'm not sure if it's if it's approved in Australia yet by Medicare and things like that. The the Zolgensma that Rockers just had down in Sydney, um, it's a, it's a three million dollar treatment, but it's not it's not approved yet by by PBS in Australia. So we um we got it through compassionate access, but it's yeah it's not not approved to be covered by Medicare in Australia as of yet. While the Kimberley covers vast geographical distances, we are a small community, and it's no surprise that everybody has come together to support Jesse and Billy and Baby Rocker. However, what they want more than anything else, more than any of the support that's been offered, is to spread the word about SMA. They want people to be aware, they want testing to become the norm, and they don't want anybody else to ever have to go through what they have. We we are just so very fortunate to live in a community and in an environment where people are just so caring and so giving. The support that we've received since we started Ride for Rocker and, and the support and help that Jess and Billy have, have received is just absolutely humbling. There's no other way of putting it. You know, people have just been amazing and and it's not just like it's not just the bush people. There are people out there in the racing world and and the camp draft world and and generally people that don't even know what a horse is that are, are just, you know, they're they're trying to help out in every little way they can. And for us, the biggest thing for us is we want that testing made mandatory. It's there, it's available. The government should just make it a part of the heel prick test or have it done as 
you know, kid, you can have the, the, the SN1 test done at any point. Like you don't have to be going to have a baby. You don't have to be pregnant. You can find out whether you have the regressive gene. If you have that regressive gene, knowledge is wealth. Knowledge is everything. If you know you've got the regressive gene, then when you do go to have a baby, you know you can have your partner tested or you know that you, there's a huge chance that your child could have SMA. So, you know, you're in front of the eight ball. You're not waiting until the symptoms start before a child gets treatment because once the symptoms start, the damage is done. So basically, like I was a nurse, I had no I had no idea. I'd never heard of SMA. And, and I know a lot of other nurses that hadn't either. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not as rare as people think. One in 10,000 children are affected by SMA. That's not rare. One in 35 Australians have the regressive gene. And if we can get the word out there and, and get people to be aware and lobby and get these heel pricks tests done so that people know that their child's SMA if it's born that way, then we will be saving one other family the heartache and devastation that our family's experienced. And if one other family's saved from that, then everything will be worth it. To finish our conversation, I asked Jesse what she hopes for baby Rocker. For you know, just for him to have have the best life that he can he can possibly have and we'll we'll definitely make sure that that happens and yeah, hopefully one day you know he'll he'll become strong enough where he can he can stand up and and walk and yeah if not well that's just that's what it is but he'll definitely have a have a great life and I hope that yeah talk, talking about his situation changes somebody else's you know someone else's life and and their you know prevents their heartbreak from just a sim- simple test that. Hopefully we can get add, added to newborn screening and, yeah, hopefully we make, make some changes with his story and the biggest, biggest thing is that can happen to anyone. Spinal muscular atrophy is caused by a mutation in the survival motor neuron gene 1. Persons with SMA don't produce the survival motor neuron protein at high enough levels so nerve cells cannot properly function and eventually die leading to debilitating and sometimes fatal muscle weakness. The symptoms of SMA include difficulty breathing and swallowing. Fortunately, SMA does not affect a person's ability to think, learn and love. SMA affects 1 in 10,000 babies and about 1 in 35 adults carry the gene. Learn more at smaaustralia.org.au and be SMA aware. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations and we're on Instagram 
at centralstation.net.au and we're also on Twitter at centralstation6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.